0: Hey, my friends, if you're looking for a faster, better way to grow and scale your landscape business, you likely don't need to join just another free Facebook group or watch another YouTube video. What you need is a proven, cohesive growth strategy for your business, along with the one on one coaching or group coaching and accountability to support you every step of the way. And that's exactly what the Million Dollar Academy delivers to you. The Million Dollar Academy is coaching, tools, accountability and done-free resources for landscapers who want to take the guesswork out of scaling and growing towards a profitable multiple six, even seven-figure-plus business without all the stress and all the hours of agonizing. How do I get everything done? Or am I doing this right? Or what do I need to focus on next? The Millionaire Academy is about thinking differently and thinking bigger about how to be a successful business owner. It's about more than just being good at landscaping. It's about how to create more profit and how to scale, all while relieving some of the pressure on yourself. We do have group and one-on-one coaching spots available, so if you want to go learn more, head over to landscaper.com forward slash academy and get in there today. This podcast is brought to you by Busy Busy. Busy Busy is so simple to use, and it's the most reliable GPS time tracking app on the market. And the best part is, it was built for landscapers. Busy Busy's founder created Busy Busy because he owns multiple construction companies and needed to understand better which projects were making him money and which projects were killing him. Payroll is the highest variable cost in the project, so you better be tracking it. Busy Busy does this better than anyone else. So download Busy Busy today, and don't forget to mention the Million Dollar Landskeeper podcast to get three free months. We want to take a quick second to tell you about our friends over at Cycle CPA. I can't even express to you how important it is to have a good accountant on your side. You know you want accurate bookkeeping and financial statements every month. Instead, you're often left with limited time to focus on the accounting side of your business and no reports to show for it. At Cycle CPA, the landscaping accountants, they not only handle the bookkeeping, but also provide landscape industry benchmarking, job costing, financials by service line, advisory meetings, and much more. Cycle CPA has a team of landscaping accountants available to provide anything from bookkeeping to CFO services. Visit cyclecpa.com and for $100 off, mention the Million Dollar Landscaper podcast. Welcome back to Million Dollar Landscaper Podcast. Today, I'm super excited to bring on Kevin Boylan. He is a landscape industry ninja with a diverse background in residential commercial design build, and he's on a mission now to help fellow landscape professionals like yourself up their game through the power of online landscape business design, and he has a passion for promoting a more professional landscape industry, and Kevin is determined to make the world a better place, more beautiful place, one design at a time. So welcome, Kevin. Thanks for being on the show today.
1: Hey, Scott, thanks for having us, man. Super excited to be on here and uh, share some thoughts. It's our first podcast experience, so. Awesome,
0: <laughs> glad you're here. <laughs>
1: we're excited to jump in and get after it, man. It's uh, like talking to a landscape celebrity
0: here, so. Wow, <laughs> I don't know about that, but I <laughs> appreciate you being here. Oh yeah, absolutely, we're honored. So Kevin, you mind explaining to everyone out there you know, what your business is, how you actually got into the design aspect, and just a little background on scapes in general?
1: Yeah, so scapes, we are, we call ourselves an internet landscape design provider, where we uh, we work predominantly with landscape contractors now as an outsourced design solution. So remote based, we can uh, work with anybody just about anywhere in the country. And we have some tricks up our sleeve on the back end to get all the information that we need and uh, really enable uh, landscape contractors to be in the best possible position to have a powerful customer experience, deliver some really strong kick-ass design products to their customer and help them scale their business and reach the customers that they're after. So um, that's what we're all about with scapes. How we got into this is a little bit of a journey, just like any entrepreneurial journey is, I suppose. But I started kind of the stereotypical, if there were one, start in the landscape industry with mowing lawns in the neighborhood. I initially uh, partnered up with a neighborhood friend 13 years old, we set out, we wanted to buy a go kart together. So um, we needed to raise some money and, uh, you know, we had a passion for being outside. So we we got to mowing lawns. And fast forward 15 years, I still don't have that go kart, but (laughs) still chipping away at at the savings account. Yeah, someday I'll get that go kart. (laughs) But now it's morphed from, uh, you know, mowing lawns that created the passion, I would say, that lit the fire to uh, pursue a, a career in the landscape industry. Went to college, you know, got a degree in landscape contracting with a focus on design. Had started a business when I was sixteen. Same thing, right? Kind of evolved the lawn mowing business. Got into some design build work. Ran that while in college. Was fortunate enough to exit that business, be able to sell it. Post college, went to work for a uh, you know national commercial landscape maintenance firm, which was just a phenomenal learning experience. Really shifted my perspective on business and what a landscape business could look like left that world and ended up running another independent commercial landscape construction company. So yet another new realm for me. So went from residential maintenance design build to commercial maintenance to commercial construction. And then things just kept evolving. Some local landscapers saw what we were doing with some of the design work. And that's really where Scape started five or six years ago that the foundation was built helping other landscapers and they saw the design deliverables we were producing and kind of helping them as needed. And then a few years ago, Took the idea a little bit further and saw kind of a void in the market, so to speak, on there's kind of your average landscape contractor, your average firm in the industry, not being able to maybe support the overhead of a landscape designer on staff, but having a need for design services and providing that value to their customer, the end user as the homeowner or commercial property manager, whichever whichever service sector they're in. But so yeah, we saw that void. Fortunately, got to work on it before 2020. And then when 2020 hit, all the stars kind of aligned with the pandemic and the boom in the industry was ended up being great timing to start the business. We're going into our third year now. It's been a fun journey. So
0: I love this. Before the show, I was actually talking to Kevin a little bit about one of our Academy members is kind of shifting their focus from maintenance to more design build. And they're at the point they can't necessarily hire a full-time designer like Kevin mentioned. I mentioned Kevin's service escapes to them. And they were actually unaware the service even existed in in this world. So they got real excited because they're like, I don't have to focus on the design aspect of it. I can just worry about the selling. And I think this is huge. And I think this is awesome. This is why I wanted to have Kevin on the show to to spread the word that this type of service is available to everybody out there. So I applaud you for taking this on and and creating this type of service. Uh, Yeah, we appreciate that. It's very flattering. But yeah, it's a newer
1: service offered to the industry, right? And. Mm -hmm. There's a handful of options out there, a handful of really good
0: options. And yeah, that's uh, definitely an important note. We should know it's, it's available. This is something that, you know, in our business early on, we hired a landscape designer. And, you know, we set them out, let them go out and sell. The problem we saw in our business was they learned the design aspect of, you know, they're fresh out of college. They learned the design aspect of it, but they didn't learn the selling aspect of it. It's, it's two different ball games. So having somebody that, like if you're the owner or whoever, that's great at selling, but maybe not designing, having a service like scapes is a great alternative. And you don't have to worry about training somebody to become a better salesman because that took us some time to actually get this person trained that we hired from college. So they did well, but it just took some time. And it wasn't something that we necessarily thought of on, in the hiring process. And we should have and looking back. It's like, well, idiots, we should have, but we didn't. But it's nice to have an option like this so you can just kind of outsource the design aspect.
1: Yeah, you hit on a great point there, Scott, with I think the industry that kind of was the default role for a lot of years in the design build sector was, you know, you had a design sales role. And that person was tasked with and expected to go meet with the customer, produce the design, and then go sell that design to the customer. And I think if you think about what makes an individual effective at selling and what makes them effective at designing, it's two very different sets of personality traits and. Of two different areas of the brain, right? On how to to perform those functions. So it's a hard role. It was, it was a very hard role to fill for because of that. And I think that you're starting to see a shift in the industry occurring, where kind of separating those roles a little bit, right? And yeah. when we talk about the boom with the demand spike in COVID, one of the other things that that was at play that not a lot of folks in the industry had exposure to was the lack of supply. There was kind of a storm brewing there where enrollment in colleges has been kind of diminishing in programs uh, like we went through with landscape contracting. And again, when you had the demand spike, now you had, again, this perfect storm, demands high, supply was low, and it just amplified that supply issue from the landscape design realm. So, but yeah, I think that, uh, not to get off topic, but as we love to talk about as an industry on how hard it is to recruit talent, again, finding that individual who is capable of selling and designing effectively is really hard. And if you're able to remove one of those elements and, you know, for example, just hire a a polished sales professional, then talent pool increases that you can pull from. Mm -hmm.
0: So, yeah. Yeah. Well, like even going back to that topic, we did hire somebody that was outside the landscape industry to come in and help do sales. But at that time we had that college students were able to just have him hand off the designs to her and it just made the whole process a lot easier. And, And he was very good at selling and reaching out to customers and the whole sales realm of things. So it is nice to kind of separate those two. And, and, you know, they're very good at selling, they're very good at designs, and it just kind of collaborated very well with us. So same thing with your service. Yeah, like in that situation, you're enhancing the customer experience at the end of the day, empowering
1: people to be in a role that is going to be the best fit for them and maximize their their skill set, again, their personality traits. So.
0: so today, I kind of want to have Kevin on and chat a little bit about charging for your designs and your consultations. This is something that I know I've seen, I'm sure you've come across, where People are on the fence, like, yes, I'm charging, or no, I'm not charging. I'm just giving free estimates. So I'd love to hear your thoughts, Kevin, on should we charge, should we not charge, and, and some of the issues that we see come about from that.
1: Yeah, this is a passionate topic for us, right? By <laughs> nature of what we do as a service, but also you kind of mentioned in the intro that we're passionate about promoting a more professional industry. And I think that what we're going to talk about today really plays into moving the needle a little bit to having our, our industry be viewed as more of that professional service. So,
0: Yeah. So you mind explaining why, you know, some landscapers offer design consultation for free or even low cost? You know, what are you seeing on your side of things?
1: Yeah, I think that with that question, most of it is comfort zone, right? And on your podcast, a lot of podcasts out there right now, there's uh, a lot of conversations around mindset. And I think that this is probably, you know, a good opportunity. It's a good lens to view that question through, right? the landscapers offering services for free or low cost like that kind of locked in a mindset that's holding their business back at the end of the day. With that, I think some of the next comments I'm going to make might be some harsh truths <laughs> or uh, some, some unheard perspectives or, or maybe stuff that's not super sexy to talk about. But with uh, that scenario, free or low cost service model I like to look at that and kind of say that they're in a quoting mindset, right? They want to provide as many quotes or bids as possible with a fear that if they charge for the designer consultation, they might lose an opportunity at that job. So I think that if we dive a little bit deeper on that, there's a symptom and an underlying problem there, right? So the symptom is the mindset, that quoting mindset, which by the way, I think that blindly like quoting like that isn't really selling. It's more order taking it's kind of sales in its most basic format, not too dissimilar, maybe from if you went to a you know a fast food restaurant, which by the way, was my favorite uh, career experience. I worked at McDonald's in college. So it's not a knock at all on on the fast food employee or that, that world, but it's essentially the same concept. Here are your options, right? In our world, that would be the quote or the bid. Would you like to purchase it or any of them? So again, it's a very kind of rudimentary sales process that, that doesn't really factor in uh, a whole lot of value propositions to that. So again, that harsh truth is the symptom is the quoting mindset. If we look at what's the root cause of that symptom or the problem, I would say it tends to be a lack of confidence. And it's a lack of confidence in themselves as either the business owner, the manager, the sales professional, whatever their role is, it's a lack of confidence in the business that they're a part of. And I think big picture, it's, it's ultimately a lack of confidence in our industry as a whole so you know again that the folks in that scenario haven't really bought into viewing the services that they provide and we provide as an industry as a professional service again for themselves or their business being that professional service provider if i think about the comment that we typically hear from that it usually sounds something like people don't want to pay for it or i don't think they will want to pay for it is usually probably even more common on how we hear that and again there's a harsh truth there that that mindset is driven by they don't they being the end user or the homeowner they don't want to pay for it because they know you'll do it for free there's a precedent that's been set there and we're all equally guilty of that as industry contributors but that precedent has driven a preconceived notion right that the homeowner almost almost knows a lot of times that uh, somebody will do it for free and if we look at free or low cost rates for professional services, is probably going to be a word I use a lot uh, is professional. It's really driving that point home. So those free or low cost rates for professional services like the design and or the consultation, they not only devalue that particular service being provided, But there's a trickle-down effect to every other service provided by our industry then. And again, that preconceived notion is carried throughout every other conversation then around any service being provided by a a landscape contractor. So that can be a little dangerous. It plays into uh, our services being viewed as a commodity, which a lot of us try and combat. And when we're we're viewed as a professional service provider as a commodity, to kind of sum up what that conversation looks like with the homeowner, a lot of times it's, hey, I don't, I don't care who you are, just tell me how much it costs, um, that type of commodity. Or, hey, I'm not really interested in anything you have to say because this other guy can do it cheaper and it becomes a cost-driven commodity, I would say. But fortunately, uh, there's a fairly simple solution there, right? It's, it starts with that mindset shift to buy into, recognize the value that our industry provides and your role within that industry. And that can be a very, very small but powerful shift think that it also goes hand in hand with some of the process changes. And that's it's part of the bigger picture of the customer experience, which is something that's really ultimately what we're talking about. The designs, the consultations, that's one component of that customer experience. I'll probably touch on a few more of those as, as we go through here, but it's really with that customer experience in mind, it's a consultative sales approach then, right? With a clear and powerful customer journey uh, becomes part of that greater mindset shift. And it starts to transition you from quoting the job to focusing on closing the right sales with the right customers. So again, it's a, maybe a long-winded way to answer that question. But again, I think at its core, it's centered around viewing our industry as a professional service. There are some comparisons we can make there. I like to sometimes use the lawyer example, right? Like a lawyer, they might listen to your situation at no cost. They might have that initial conversation around, "Hey, hey, what's going on? Tell me more. Uh, but as soon as they start making suggestions or providing an opinion, there's charges that are associated with that. Joshua Gillow with, with Outer Spaces is another big advocate for this. If we can get our industry to closer to professional services, I think it's a, a, a maybe uh, a big ask to get all the way be viewed as lawyers. But if we can get closer to that on par with those types of services, then that, that goes a tremendous way for our industry. So.
0: Well, I, I agree 100% it's mindset and being confident in what you do and what you provide to your customers. I know I've battled my issues with customers when you tell them that we do charge a consultation fee, but it's our job as a professional is to explain why there is this fee and what process is and how we go about it and different than what some other competitors may be doing. And expressing that value. And maybe that's not, the, you know, maybe the customer isn't the right fit for you because they want that cheaper option. Well, it's again, it's our choice to choose and explain to them why they need to do that and what the advantages of hiring someone like ourselves as a professional. So I agree hundred percent. It is definitely mindset and, and confidence issues that you have to have as a, as a business owner. I was curious too, do you see when you start charging for these consultations that you are building some trust and even respect from the clients?
1: Yeah. So I think that fundamentally, as soon as you charge for a service, automatically or simultaneously, it's it's communicating that there should be a value provided, right? If you're paying for something, there should be a value provided. So again, that, that's kind of a fundamental concept. Now, the challenge to your point that you just mentioned on communicating that to that prospective customer, right? And that really is the challenge. How do you communicate that value? But again, fundamentally by charging for it, it communicates that you are valuable and establishing yourself as the professional. And again, that, that's part of a like a bigger overarching sales perspective that you're selling yourself right at the end of the day. And that will immediately start to earn the respect that you're talking about, right? And particularly from the type of ideal customer that you're after. So another another point you made, right? That it might just not be the right fit. But yeah, so like integrating something like a design consultation agreement or charging for a consultation, wherever that fits in, you immediately start to separate yourself as well from some of the companies, some of your competitors, right? Um, And you start to establish yourself as that professional service provider, again, that keyword being professional. And again, to kind of circle back to one of the the phrases or concepts I briefly touched on a couple minutes ago was was the customer experience, right? So again, it's part of that, that larger concept of the customer experience. And as part of that customer journey, when you communicate effectively communicate and set expectations at different intervals of that journey the prospective customer they're already aware of what to expect from that process right and if you kind of ease them into that to the you know charging for the designs and the consultations then again it, it's uh, it becomes a much easier conversation to handle keeping in mind that's part of that bigger customer experience this is where we see i think most businesses in the industry, if we have to kind of summarize it or, or maybe dumb it down almost, I think this is where they miss the mark, right? Is that customer experience. And that's maybe one of their biggest limiting factors to growth. The flip side of that coin is I think that it also seems to be one of the like most common bonds or threads when we look at the most reputable, sizable, established, kind of those benchmark landscape companies in any given market they seem to be focusing on that customer experience, setting clear expectations, and then managing those expectations effectively on the back end. And again, I think all of those kind of combine to position the, the company as effectively as possible in the market. Yeah. But again, it's it's the 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 charging for the designer, charging for a consultation or executing agreements around the designer consultation, that in and of itself doesn't build as much trust as that entire experience with your company. It's only one component of that journey, right? But they are probably, if you singled out what are some of the most powerful tools that you can implement within that experience, I think the design and positioning consultations effectively can be one of the most powerful tools, again, to position you and your company as the professional landscape expert, which again, kind of goes back to the point of people buy from people, and then they buy from people that they believe are competent, right? They want to buy from a subject matter expert, particularly with the value of the services that we provide, right? They're not small sums of money that we're, we're working with on a, on a daily basis. So, but yeah, again, if we single out something like a design, for example, as part of a customer experience, setting and managing expectations, the designs are really powerful to set that expectation, right? Even on the back end, right? It becomes the kind of the the holy grail, the the most objective document or or set of documents that you have for that project to get you and the customer on the same page, the expectation becomes much easier to manage at that point on the back end. And that's kind of that trust component that you asked about, Scott, right? Like the, the design allows you the ability to set that expectation and then have a reference point to manage it on the back end. I think, you know, expanding on that thought even further, there's a talk track, right? Like, and we're not here to give you a talk track. We had talked about this before too, Scott. At some point, somewhere along the line, somebody had told me, sell how you want to be sold to. And that, that always really sticks in my mind, right? So to take like cookie cutter talk tracks and try and fit them into your business just, just never seems to work real well. But inevitably, you, you will find a way to, to fit this into your business. But there are some key points that you can work in there along the way to communicate that that design really is the ultimate tool first and foremost, to visualize the investment being made, right? There's significant value there to to communicate to a a prospective client. Hey, you can can live with this. This is a really big investment you're about to make in your property. This design is a tool that you can live with that investment for a significantly reduced rate um, in a 3D realm and 3D capacity without having to actually go through the process of of fully installing it. And then again, after it's kind of, you get it where you want it and where the homeowner wants it, it objectively guides that proposal process. So, it reduces significantly, reduces ideally, eliminates any room for subjective interpretation about what is being purchased and how it's going to be installed. The materials, all all that stuff can be kind of uh, taken out of the equation as much as possible and have an objective guiding principle. So, again, I, I guess full circle to answer your question there by positioning the value and establishing the value you and your company can provide, establishing yourself as the subject matter expert. And then clearly communicating why the design and consultation phase is important, the value that that's going to provide on the back end of the project, you kind of naturally earn the trust and respect of, of that customer. Yeah. You know, through that customer journey.
0: I think there's a couple different ways you can actually go about doing this. Even before you necessarily even go out to talk to the customers, is having stuff on your website explaining your process and you know what the consultation fee is and why you have it, and just telling them why you know what the reason is and. The differences between having a, a professional design, a company like yourself doing it or somebody else doing it, you know, that doesn't do these types of things. And like I always would always relate it back to, you know, if they're going to get a home built, there's always a design process that goes in long along with that. It's the same thing here. When they do design on a home, they're using it to obviously get the materials and those types of things. But we're also looking at future problems, like where you need like a larger header or whatever it is, you know, for your home same thing with your design process you can kind of figure out any drainage issues or structural issues with building a wall or whatever it is so having that design process is very important and explaining this to the customer is something that you can easily do through like creating a blog or having the process laid out on your website even before you go speak to the customer and just letting that customer know hey i understand we're gonna have a meeting here but go check out this blog post that we talk about you know our process and sending that to them before you even go out meet with the customer i think it's a great way to kind of go about it and just break it down in simple terms to that customer and you know in the blog post or video whatever you want to make on your website. I think that's a that's a great way to do it. At least get the process started.
1: Yeah, those are all great points. I picked up on simple, right? Like simplified things, man. Like as many opportunities as you can maximize to to simplify the process for a customer. Again, it's going to enhance that customer experience. But yeah, I mean, we're venturing outside of certainly my realm of expertise with, uh, <laughs> with like where that customer journey begins and how I think traditionally, right, we thought that collectively as business owners that that was like started when they made the contact. But I think more and more we're, we're placing, you know, and rightfully so, placing more emphasis on the website and recognizing that that's where, and that might not be true for everybody, if you have, you know, the majority of your leads phoning in, but they found your phone number somewhere. Yeah. So again, that's the point, recognizing that that's the point of where that, that customer experience begins. And again, you know, if you integrate that as on your website, now you're starting to set that expectation before you've even mm-hmm. talked to that 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 individual. And you're starting that pre-qualification process as well. If you if you integrate those tools without having to talk to that that customer.
0: I think a lot of it is lack, I shouldn't say lack of education, but the lack of knowledge from the consumer as far as what our services are and why we do this and, and everything. So we, it's our job as our professional is to educate the customer on whether it's our process or what we do, You know why we have the design, why we have the consultation fee and express the value that they're going to get from it. And it goes back to building that trust with the customer. So I think it, it's definitely a different topic to bring up here in the industry. I know people said, like I said earlier, you're on one side of the fence, yes or no, but it's our job as a professional, like you said, to to educate and, and build that trust with their customer.
1: Yeah, educate, that's where you just use a couple of times. And that's ultimately what we're talking about at its core is with, with that customer experience and the journey and looking at, at what that looks like and how you can communicate value, right? The, the best way we can do that as, as professional service providers is go through that education process and not assume, right? A lot of times we assume that, that that customer's educated or maybe get frustrated when they're not educated. So yeah, but recognizing that that burden is on us, like you just mentioned, that's yeah, huge, huge component of the situation.
0: So one thing I I see a lot of times in like our, our landscape business owners Facebook group is the question brought up, you know, they're considering persons considering to have a consultation fee or design fee. And they they're always asking, you know, what should I be charging for this? So do you have any recommendations how a landscaper can determine what a fair price would be for this design work or consultation work? Yeah, we love
1: this question. This is where we get to, you know, contribute some perspective and uh, help to try and start to define, right? there, There is no, there's such a wide ranging set of, of prices that are being charged, you know, from, again, free all the way up to maybe something like, you know, uh, landscape architect type of experience where you, you could potentially be spending tens of thousands of dollars to go through that design process. But yeah, I think if we broke it down into two uh, segments, right, you have the design that you could potentially charge for, and then you have the consultation. Most of how to charge, um, again, highly subjective, so we'll set some try and set some guidelines here. It's going to be determined by your process, right? What does your current process look like? Or what does your ideal process look like that you're trying to gravitate towards, work towards? So like, for example, if you use an outsourced design provider like us for your design services, you probably want to at least cover your cost for the design associated with that service. So that will Whatever that cost is from that service provider will in turn dictate what a fair price is to charge to the end user, uh, being the homeowner or again, the commercial property manager maybe. But when it comes to charging for the designs and on-site consultations, one concept that's popping up in my head right now is charging something's better than nothing, right? So we can start the conversation there, (laughs) charge something and you're off to a good start. But to give some perspective on maybe some reasonable industry pricing, we love to see design services starting at kind of a minimum of 300. And that covers some very basic kind of design methods. Uh, like one of the tools that we still use is what we call photorealistic renders. So essentially we take an image of a property or a particular area of a property and can start to overlay some plant material on that and stuff. So that's a very low cost design method. So when we say starting at 300, it would kind of capture maybe a design method like that. And one of the ways we communicate this to our customers, our contractor customers, is kind of picking the design that uh, matches the scope of the work, right? So it doesn't maybe make sense for a simple $5,000 little planting renovation to go to the extent of having a full 3D design rendered through some really sophisticated softwares that we're going to have, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours into to to produce that deliverable. It just doesn't doesn't make sense. So... Aligning that—it's uh, one way to, to look at at pricing and how you dictate that. It's, that's a it, kind of an important concept to understand. Picking the right method that makes sense, but then again, back to that that simplification, simplifying it as much as possible. So again, for our customers, three hundred kind of recommended starting point when we're getting into like full three D design renderings, eight hundred for a front yard, front foundation type of project, and fifteen hundred for more of a backyard outdoor living space. With a, a slight asterisk on that, maybe as much as 2500 when you're getting into those really big marquee type of pool, outdoor living, you know, custom structure, kitchens, all sorts of crazy stuff going on. But those are kind of the benchmarks for the 3D, 800 1500 2500 Again, those are benchmarks, right? So they're, they're starting points to start the conversation that will, depending on the service provider, if you're going the outsourced design route should help, you know, should cover some, some reasonable design costs. Or if you're doing them in-house... Again, just know that that's our perspective, and we do humble brag. We do a pretty good volume of this stuff, so we, we see it throughout a uh, you know a bunch of different geographic regions over three years now. And you know, I can confidently come on here and say that those are very reasonable price points to kind of start at. And again, that simplification component comes in. You only have you know three or four numbers to keep in mind when you're meeting with a customer. First is, is determine which design method it's going to be, and then the uh, you know the handful of uh, three, four, five price points to, to kind of pick from. So that's kind of a recommended best practice that we use with our customers to charge for the designs. And there's certainly companies that charge significantly more than this. If your process is a lot more involved and, or you're in a market where you feel like you have a customer experience, but whatever that looks like, where you feel like you can charge more, great. There are companies that charge less. A lot of service providers that are out there and there are a fair amount of them that are, that have a, a, a strong presence, I guess to, to, to say, right? Like we'll see their names pop up on on social media groups, on social media platforms in general, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, that are offshore resources. And that's one way you can get an even lower price point. And you know, it, it, if you can figure out a way to make that work for you, great. But so, so again, you kind of run the gamut uh, of pricing there. And again, if you're using an outsourced provider, that price that you're getting charged will dictate a portion of of what you charge on the back end to those customers. So that's the design component, and we referenced consultations kind of as well. And if if we look at that as a separate component of the design, one of again the best practices that we communicate to our customers is considering offering two options, right? And particularly in a post pandemic world, virtual meetings are a lot more comfortable for the society as a whole. So. If you offer a virtual meeting as part of the consultation process, you can leverage that with some on-site consultation fees then. So you essentially you have the virtual consultation you can do as your free, no cost option. If you want to integrate that, you'll have some people that aren't comfortable with that and they want you to come out on site, but that having that free option allows you to position those on-site consultations to have a fee with them. And kind of the sweet spot in the industry seems to be anywhere from $50 to $300 for those on-site consultation fees. $50, uh, you're more or less using it as a pre-qualification tool at that point. When you get up into the you know the multiple hundreds of dollars, that might be better aligned with maybe some companies that focus on more like boutique type of experiences where they can reasonably get that rate. I will say that you collectively would probably be amazed at how willing customers are to pay that fee. Um, and again, this this goes back to to the same stuff we've been talking about with the customer experience and that journey. Is if you're positioning it effectively, setting those expectations along the way that this is part of your process. You know, when when you've positioned it again, not only as part of your process, but proposition your company as being an expert in providing strong value with an emphasis on that that experience for the customer. At that point, they kind of understand why you charge the fee and. They also, you don't really have a whole lot of opportunities for objections from from that prospective customer because they have a no cost option that's available as well with, with the uh, the virtual meetings. The only pushback sometimes we've, we've heard or, or seen or experienced ourselves at that point is, you know, uh, the question of, well, well how are you going to have a full understanding of, of what's going on if we just do a virtual meeting? but. You know, you, you can always start with a virtual meeting is, is usually how, how we position that, right? Like, hey, let's start with this option. And if we, you know, deem that, that a site visits necessary, you, you still reserve a back pocket at that point to kind of waive that site visit fee to at that point. If, if that customer, you get them on that virtual meeting and is checking all those boxes and you feel really strongly about it, you have the ability to waive it. But if you position it as that there's typically a fee with that, then uh, you have some options, flexibility, I guess, which we always, always like to maintain some flexibility
0: in a process. Do you have any uh, suggestions on how that if they never charge any consultation fee, how they can go about asking this to a customer? I, I know there's some fear and I, it does go back to the conversation we had earlier about being confident in, in, in your fees and what you do. Uh, do you have any suggestions of how to approach that conversation with a client?
1: Yeah. So uh, again, I think it starts with kind of uh, assuming we're at the point of that initial contact, either on the phone or ideally it's on the phone at that point, because you can talk through that much quicker than trying to exchange email interactions or or text messages or or whatever. But if you can get somebody on the phone and assuming that you weren't able to set that expectation on the process through your website or through uh, an advertisement, whatever the case might be, If that phone interaction is the first opportunity you have to talk to that person and set the expectation on how your process works with consultations, offering those two options, the virtual meeting and the on-site consultation is going to be your best friend to kind of ease that transition or ease into charging for those services, right? Because if you go the route of, and, and we have customers that do this very effectively on just charging for a site visit, not offering the virtual meeting. That is, uh, again, you you place much more significant emphasis on the customer experience at that point. They are more effectively communicating that throughout the whole journey of the customer. But my recommendation, I guess, long-winded way to say that I would really leverage the the virtual meeting route as a no-cost option and in-person as a charge service. Now, if we're talking about designs and charging for those, my perspective is going to be about the same, right? Setting that expectation as early as possible with letting the customer know that the design is part of the process and again kind of prepping them essentially that that there might be a fee associated with that. If you use verbiage like that rather than just bluntly saying we charge for designs on every project, that can create a can create some obstacles on the back end, right? Like sometimes obviously a design might not be needed, right? When you get out to a project. And it can come across as a little bit harsh. And again, continuing down down that road on on the designs, when you either are in that virtual meeting or on site for that consultation, when you're going through that like rapport building stage and gathering information on the scope of the work, referencing that process as many times the design process specifically when possible is going to position you. It's going to give you a little bit more leverage when you go to actually communicate the fee for that service. So anytime you can kind of play off of some emotional pleas around some hot button items, it's going to position you even that much more effectively. So there's kind of two that we generally communicate as being the the strongest talking points to integrate on on nearly every consultation. One of them is around plants, right? because plants are in, whether you're talking outdoor living space, there's still a component of the project. And one of the ways that you can earn some trust and respect again, when you talk about the design or the scope of the projects, you can communicate how you and your design team default to low maintenance and four seasons of interest. That can be a really powerful talk track. Everyone likes to hear that, right? Even if they didn't tell you that they want low maintenance, particularly the low maintenance verbiage, they're going to like to hear it when you bring it up, right? So uh, you can communicate that the design you're going to prepare will show the plants at mature size. And that helps avoid one of the most common reasons we see maintenance in the landscape, having to control a plant for its size. Um, In these cases, right, we usually say like wrong plant, wrong place, or we're talking about effective design, right plant, right place, helping to avoid the maintenance burden. So again, you're kind of, with a talk track like that, you're, you're knocking out a few things. You're establishing yourself as that subject matter expert. You're using some buzzwords to get that emotional reaction, right, with the low-maintenance type of verbiage. And you're subconsciously kind of planting the seed on that design, right? You're continuing to bring it up. Another tool that we like to use, talk track, is around planting the seed, no pun intended, on if you have some... Ideas for the project. You know the homeowners communicate their scope of work. Um, at some point, as part of that conversation, if you can communicate to them that you'll likely show them some ideas in the design that you have to bring to the table, while still respecting the agreed upon investment range. So, really, just saying that, hey, we're not going to blow your budget on this, and we're not going to show you something that's four times as much as you communicate your comfortable investing. But if we have some ideas that we think would add even more value, we're going to show them to you in the design. So, you're almost asking them for permission to kind of over-design it and add some touches that you think are valuable without actually asking them. You're softly, you're gently telling them that, hey, we're going to try and add as much value to this as possible. And you can back that up with, you can continue that talk track if you're comfortable with it, feel that there's value on things like we'll always, you know, we'll support that with a rationale. We'll always have a reason for why we added the elements that we did. And if needed, We can work backwards and eliminate or reduce some of those elements, right, to the original scope that you had in mind. We like to kind of position that too and encourage our customers to position that as it's much easier for us to work backwards on a design than it is to be adding elements to a design. Inevitably, if you walk in and present a design, this is jumping ahead a little bit, but if you were to present that design after you charged for it and if you're in a position where the end user wants to add elements to it, you probably underwhelmed them at that point, which is a dangerous territory to be in. When you're underwhelmed, they're, they're going to lose confidence in your ability as well. Again, it might even be subconscious. They might love you you know, and, and everything you have to say, but if the design kind of missed the mark and underwhelmed, then they're going to lose that confidence and erode some of that trust and confidence and respect that you, you work so hard to develop with them. And again, this is jumping ahead a little bit, but that particular talk track really positioned you well to handle the budget conversation, right? When you're, you're making comments proactively about respecting the investment range that they're comfortable with, and you're going to have some thoughts on how the design that you're showing them fits into that range, creative solutions to work backwards into their budget or why you added what you did and position that as value propositions. It really does position you though, effectively as the professional, as that subject matter expert who has valuable thoughts on their project that they may not have considered, but you're always going to have a way to get them back into that budget range. So again, that type of communication allows you to more effectively kind of get that budget out of them. We're kind of preconditioned to instead of saying budget, sometimes that word in and of itself can have a little bit of a negative connotation. So we like to use things like investment range to kind of communicate the same thing. At the end of the day, we just want to know how much you're comfortable spending. But you can leverage the design in that scenario as a tool to get the budget out of them, right? So you can play off of it rather lightly and, you know, communicate it in a manner like, hey, Mr. Or Mrs. Customer, you know, we need to be reined in sometimes, right? Or else, or else we can run wild <laughs> on, on this design. We could... You know, give you a million dollar backyard, or we can give you a $10,000 backyard, right? And if we view it again through that customer experience lens, the whole journey is going to be a much more positive experience if you have an open, honest communication about what they're willing to spend, maybe with some inputs right away on the scope that they communicate it, what you're hearing from them, what you think it might cost, and kind of starting the process there. And uh, again, having those conversations will position you effectively on the back end to communicate the rate that you charge to go through that process. Because you've already established the value with thinking about, again, even just those two simple talk tracks. If you remember to kind of talk about the plants, prep them on the low maintenance thing that you're going to show them at mature size to, to help avoid maintenance and prep them that you might show them some ideas that they hadn't considered and prep them for something that might be a little bit over-designed. There's a couple little sales nuggets along there as well, because we're pretty passionate about the sales <laughs> stuff. But first and foremost, the design agreement at that stage, it really is the ultimate pre-qualification tool, right? Like there's a bunch you can do in the process and the customer journey to pre-qualify them up to that point. But this is where the rubber meets the road. They're either going to pony up the money to move forward with the design consultation agreement or they're not, right? And it really at that stage separates those ideal customers from the tire kickers. And it typically does happen around that budget type of conversation. At that point in the conversation, usually in the latter stages of that consultation meeting, and you're kind of transitioning the meeting from information gathering, rapport building, to outlining next steps and and setting the expectations on what's going to happen next. Close rates, by the way, with design agreements are insanely high compared to either if you don't use them or deliver design to somebody without uh, a design agreement. And even more so when you have a budget to work with, right? Because now the customer knows, maybe they've seen some design examples from you, so they know what to expect from the deliverable. They also know what to expect on the investment range, and they have time between that meeting when you leave uh, or hop off the virtual meeting, they have time to come to terms with the dollar figure um, in between that meeting and delivering the design. And it kind of avoids that sticker shock, right? It's one thing for somebody to say that they can afford that, or that's what they're comfortable investing. It's another thing for them to see it written down and then have to write it on a check uh, to very different interactions and reactions from a prospective customer. so. But you've also already gotten the customer to commit to you once. And I think that's the biggest value of charging for a design or a consultation, right? They've committed to you. You've done something along the way to demonstrate enough value being provided to them that they are willing to sign something and make a financial commitment to you. And that's huge. Like I can't place enough emphasis on that from a sales perspective on how big that is, and quite frankly, that can change your life from a, again a, a sales perspective and the life of your business. Full circle back to, to one of those first questions you asked about trust and respect, and, and how do they play into that? Again, this is where you're going to realize the trust and respect that you've developed with that customer. They've already signed something, and they've already made a payment to you. So. The next time you go back to them with that final presentation with the design and proposal, getting them to commit to you for the installation becomes that much easier, right? You're asking for them now to sign something and make a payment for the second time, not the first time. So again, I wouldn't underestimate the value of that in the the sales process. So I got a little, little off track there, but...
0: Um, <laughs> No, thank you for sharing that. That's that's definitely great information. I love that you shared that little fact about the close ratio is is much higher. And I think it's, it's true. I can definitely see that. So no, thank you for sharing that. So I'd love to learn a little bit more about scapes. You mind sharing a little bit more about, you know, I know I've seen concerns about this, like having online service versus hiring somebody, not even just the monetary aspect, but just having somebody that's out of your area that's designing stuff for you. You mind sharing a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, that's definitely the, we know that, and it comes from our experience, right, as contractors. So that's usually the first conversation we'll have around questions like that is, hey, like, first and foremost, we're, we're contractors by trade. We've built this stuff, you know, when we have worked with freelancers as contractors before we owned, you know, the scapes, the design business, freelancers, landscape architects, we dealt with the pains of getting a set of plans and not being able to build it, right? Like, because maybe it came from somebody who didn't have have that background. So that's one of the ways that we communicate kind of the value we can add is we do have the construction background. And we spent about the first year, almost a year and a half of our business. And Obviously, it's an ongoing process, but all we focused on was procedures and making sure we had a foundation that we could consistently deliver excellent quality and deliver that quality in a turnaround time that would allow our customers to be in the best position possible to close that sale on the back end. And there's a couple of talking points off of that as well. Like our perspective on designs is they're a sales tool first and foremost, right? If what we deliver to you doesn't sell it is useless, right? Like there is there is absolutely no value in the service or the product, the deliverable product at that point in time. And that can be maybe, again, one of those harsh truths. Well, it's not something that's super popular to talk about in the design segment of the industry that we focus a lot on efficiency in designs. And that's, again, among designers, is not a word that we like to use a lot. We like to, generally speaking as designers, place a lot of emphasis on, almost becomes a piece of artwork at times, right? Like on, on this creation that we've come up with it's passion driven, which is awesome. You know, like you want somebody passion driven like that, but in application that can drive costs up and push turnaround times out. And those are, again, kind of some of the, the, the two, when we're talking about process and procedures that we developed centered around quality turnaround times. And the third component of that is price points. Because again, we came from a world where if we weren't able to perform a design, some of the solutions that we had available to us started at thousands of dollars. And we kind of looked at that and said, hey man, like I really don't feel like It needs to cost thousands of dollars for, again, when you think kind of about the average landscape or outdoor hardscape, outdoor living space that's being installed out there, that maybe there was a way to uh, develop some of the uh, systems that we could hit some price points that better align with that scope of work. So that's what we spent a long time on. uh, Because of that, our our, our price points are, I'd call them mid-range of what you might see in the industry. We have some really efficient design tools and some third-party elements that we've integrated in that allow us to maintain that efficiency, efficiency in a design realm, right? We're, we're a service provider. So when we talk about efficiency, what that means to a customer is cost, right? Like if we can save time on a design, then we can keep those costs in check. It, again, it goes hand in hand with the quality control as well, because we don't want to get efficient to the point where we're sacrificing quality. So we have some backend, we have like an 80 some point checklist that every design goes through to make sure that it's maintaining quality. And even us as owners of the business, we surprise ourselves all the time on some of the stuff that we have on there that we miss after doing this, you know, thousands of times now. And you really need that that objective guiding document. So... But yeah, so so that's twofold, right? So we have the experience to kind of give our contractor customers confidence that, hey, we kind of know what's going on with building this stuff. And then on the back end, we have the processes and procedures that we've developed to keep costs in check, produce regular quality and deliver them in a reasonable time frame. So we're typically one week to two weeks Always under two weeks, but uh, we should try and shoot for a week turnaround time on on all of our deliverables, so that again, just from from our operations background, knowing that that's going to keep that contractor in the best possible position to close that sale, because again, that's what it's all about—it's yeah. closing sales. So,
0: one thing I was going to say is, just even looking back at our, our business, you go out and you talk to the customer and you start the design. You have all these other customers that are contacting you about whatever, and you know they want designs, and you're meeting with them, so you got so many different things going on. So you're trying to juggle all these different balls. A build-off a project to scapes would be an amazing thing because it, it just relieve that pressure that you have going on. And you can focus on what you need to focus on, whether it's the sales or the operations side of things. So I think there's a lot of value by using a service like scapes. Is there anything else that you're seeing that keepers that are using your services are seeing from that?
1: Uh, yeah, that, that's the major element at play is freeing up time, right? If we could all buy back more time. And that, that's essentially what we're talking about. And it comes full circle to what we've spent the majority of, of time today kind of covering is charging for this stuff. So we can help people. And that's thats a lot of time that we spend with our customers that haven't gone through that process or, hey, here's how to take this workload off your plate. Here's how we can increase your customer experience to your customer And here's, by the way, how you can do it at no cost to you, right? Uh, If you're you're passing along those costs to the customer. So yeah, we try and make it as easy as possible as well. Kind of circling back to your last question on, uh, you know, that notion of how could this work from hundreds of miles away or, or wherever, you know, geographically, how does that work? We try and make it as easy as possible with getting the information. So again, there's some internal service tricks that we've developed to get that information. A lot of it is third party app driven and then or on the back end just just technology in general that we use to to get the information we need we're pretty good at right away like flagging like hey i know i can't get the information off this one i need you man to just just work with me a little bit get me like three extra pictures on this or get me this one measurement Uh, so we really have it to the point where you don't have to measure when you're out on sites anymore it's a lot of picture driven content but yeah, making it as easy as possible. And we try and integrate with our customers' processes as seamlessly as possible. So if they are, if they have experience either designing themselves, working with other designers, whatever that process looks like, we'll take a look at that and say, okay, yeah, man, like this process is great. We have all the information we need. You don't have to change anything. That's ideal. We like that. Or uh, that's that's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is where maybe somebody has no exposure or experience going through the design process. And we can kind of that's where we step in and say, hey, here's some best practices. Here's what we see working best among our customers. And here's the information we need. Here's how to gather it. It really is a pretty easy process anymore at this point. So.
0: So you mind just sharing a little bit about that process? So if I go out, I take measurements and how do I go about sharing that information with you?
1: Yeah. So as early on in that sales process as possible, as our contractors can loop us in, that's great. So uh, kind of make the assumption, right, that you've, you've gone through the pre-qualification process, you have an on-site consultation set up, an on-site visit set up where you're going to go meet with the homeowner. There's, again, an app that we use to gather the measurements from the site, specifically the house. So it's eight pictures. We can set that up ahead of time to give you a link to save you a visit. In other words, on the back end, while you're there, if everything goes well during that meeting, customer uh, gives you the okay on the design process, While you're there, you can take those eight pictures around the property. We have every measurement we then need off of the home. More times than not, we can tap into some aerial softwares uh, behind the scenes to essentially, once we have all the measurements on the house, we can scale everything else off of that hyper accurately. Also, by keeping us in the loop before going out there, we can look either while you're driving or even while you're on site sometimes I can dive into uh, what I can see and what additional information I might need and be communicating that back to you in text or email right while you're on site to let you know, hey, man, I, I, you know, I need those eight pictures through that app and give me these five pictures and we have all the information we need to get the design rolling. So that's kind of like the front end information gathering, uh, making that as easy as possible, really picture driven on the back end, you know, to communicate the scope of the project. We'll take that any way we can get it, <laughs> to be quite honest <laughs> with you. Uh, whether it's an email. We always like stuff in writing this week. We can all be on the same page. A lot of guys will call us when they're leaving a project. That's not a bad route either because it's never going to be more fresh. And we'll kind of put together a quick written scope and fire it back off to you as the contractor and say, hey, this is what I heard you say on the phone. Does this look good? Kind of start the design process. Design process is really easy with us. We, uh, again, we try and hold to that one week turnaround. If it's like bigger projects we might have some touch points in between just to get your buy-in and your input so you can see where we're headed with the design. Uh, we heard from one of our customers recently, a newer customer for us who does a lot of projects and has really grown a, a super cool business at a really young age, but had an experience with a designer where he wouldn't see the design until the designer and him as the business owner presented it to the customer and that created a lot of problems for him. So we have you know the opportunity to involve you as the contractor as much as, as you want so again that you're the one that has to sell it at the end of the day so um, as much uh, as much input as you can have and kind of understand where the design is going and why it's going that direction we really like to provide our customers with as much of that why so that when you're in that meeting presenting it to the homeowner you're kind of able to to speak intelligently about it and kind of continue to position yourself as that expert and not have to rely on us uh, as that expert at that point in time so but yeah we deliver everything typically through the google drive available, you know, on the cloud platform, 3Ds are, you know, we call them lifelike 3D renderings. That's hands down our our most popular design package. They typically come with a set of 15 to 20 images for a front yard, and then anywhere from like 20 to 40 or even 50 for a backyard, depending on the scope. And we kind of take them in a manner to where, you know, it almost walks you through that landscape. So again, when you're in front of a customer, you can just keep clicking through the images and be able to talk through what you see on screen. On the back end, another deliverables is a materials quantity takeoff so we spec all the information that you would need from the design so things like you know paver square footages face foot of wall linear foot of, of caps and wall base to give you again empower you with all the information that you would need to uh, to carry that
0: project through from design to completion so sounds amazing <laughs> yeah, you... it's it's well it's it's a nice thing like you said it, you know, you are doing all the work on the back end of this stuff. So you can just focus on as a owner or salesperson, just doing the sales and doing the operations management or whatever you're doing. I think that would be a huge, huge time saver. Because like, just even go back to my personal life, just trying to think about all the designs and going back home and working on the design and the estimate, just having Bill hand that off is, is definitely worth the price. So On that note, do you mind sharing a little bit about your pricing structure? I know it's, I'm sure it's a little bit different for every project, but do you have an idea or average range? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So we, um, average range, I'll answer that first. Again, on the 3D stuff, we're seeing front yards typically come in around six to 800. Uh, They can go a little bit, a little bit under that if it's like something real simple, but six to 800 for a front on average and on the backyards, anywhere from 800 to 1200 on average. To give you some additional perspective on that, our average price point last year for designs was just over $800 for the 3D renderings. We have also pretty popular the, the photorealistics. Again, I briefly mentioned that before, but where we take, take a, a picture of a landscape and overlay some plants and stuff on it. Those are $139 for the first image and then $39 for like an additional angle showing the space. So again, pretty typical to do two or three for something like a front foundation renovation. So you're you're around or under that $200 price point if you go that route. On the 3D stuff, one of those processes and procedures that we developed that first year was we use a point-based system. So we're not just kind of like winging numbers out there on, hey, Scott, yeah, that looks like it's going to be a thousand bucks, man. It's very objective-based, pretty easy to understand what's the existing elements and, and what are we putting into it. We don't get into the whole hourly game we expect revisions on the back end Mm -hmm. Um, so we work with our contractors to get
0: the designs uh, where the homeowner wants it so does that include um like a 2d design as well
1: yeah great question actually so we treat them now as add-ons we used to include them when we started for the first year we included them in lighting and then we realized guys were asking us hey you know what would it cost if i didn't do that up front Essentially there's and now kind of our recommended best practices sell with the three D first, lead with the three D, get the job sold, and then build in the cost, which is minimal, two to three hundred dollars depending on the project for the two D plan view blueprint style document. Build that into to your estimate and then come back to us after the job's sold and we can we can deliver that on the back end.
0: Good. Good. All right. Well, Kevin, I definitely appreciate you being on here and sharing all the great information on like uh, the sales tips that you were giving earlier and, and the everything that you guys do at Scapes. I think it's an amazing product, amazing service that you are offering. And I encourage everyone to get out there and learn a little bit more about this process. Kevin, you mind sharing a little bit how everyone can reach out to you and get hold of you and if they're interested?
1: Yep. So they can um, reach out to me directly always. Uh, my cell phone, you know, it's 484-241-6402. Never mind taking a phone call. I love talking to people. My email is just my name, Kevin, at scapesdesigns.com. That URL is also our website. It's plural, scapesdesigns. And uh, you can reach out on our website as well. That contact form on there is a gravity contact form set up where that, that'll come directly to me. Bear with us on the website. It, it still speaks a lot to direct-to-consumer. Hasn't been updated to the contractor route yet, but it still works if you want to fill out a contact form on there as well. And we're really good about communicating. If I can't answer the phone for some reason, just leave me a you know voicemail, text, text emails and stuff. We we reply typically within the hour. So
0: great. Well, Kevin, is there anything else that you wanted to add today? Otherwise I got some fun questions for you. Nah. Yeah. Let's, (laughs) let's get after the questions. All right. So who is someone you'd like to trade places with for just one day? Oof.
1: Um, I went skydiving once and I'd love to, I I don't have a name of any individual, but I'd love to do one of the wingsuit things, you know, jump base jumping off of a mountain. Uh, so anybody that does that, I'd love to trade places with them just for, for not even a day, just one jump. Just give me
0: one jump. (laughs) There you go. That would be pretty sweet. (laughs) Yeah, man. That'd be awesome. All right. Is there anything that you're really stingy with? Stingy? Huh. Um, time
1: sometimes with like meetings, if they're, if I'm not contributing or I feel like it's an unproductive meeting, I guess I would be a little stingy on my time sometimes. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. Go ahead. All right. What or who has made the biggest impression on your life in the past year? In the past year? So, uh,
1: unfortunately, Ken Block, I I say unfortunately because he just passed away in in January. And if uh, if anybody doesn't know that name, you should go look him up. He's the guy who created uh, the Jim Gymkhana videos, was part of the founder of DC Shoes back in the day. Uh, So, I I do some like racing as a hobby. So, Ken Block was was uh, always a guy that was... On my radar, I loved watching his content. And then over the last, of course of the last year I got it, was uh, fortunately able to get into racing myself and kind of was an even bigger influence when we were, we were looking at our racing brand and stuff.
0: So so yeah, Ken Block would be my answer to that one. Nice. Yeah, it's definitely going to be missed in the in the racing industry. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah, very big, sad. It was. Very big sad. hole. Big hole to fill. Yeah. All right, Kevin. Well, I appreciate you being on here again today. Guys, definitely go check out scapesdesigns.com. We'll put the link in the show notes. It's definitely something that can save your time and just create a better product more likely in the end, especially if you don't have any design background or you're just getting started. So definitely go reach out to Kevin and his team and see how they can help you out. All right, Kevin, well, thank you again. And we'll be talking to you soon.
1: This has been awesome, Scott. Thanks again for having us on, man. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you. That's a wrap on another exciting episode here of the Millionaire Landscape Podcast. Now, thank you for joining us on this journey and thank you for being a member of our community. Remember our motto, Do it dirty means just get started and not be afraid of making mistakes. we honestly believe this is one of the keys to success in this industry and in life. Now, if you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment, head over to Apple and leave us a review. Your support helps us reach more listeners and bring even more value to the show. Until next time, keep doing it dirty and grow your business to new heights.